So today is the beginning of the Christmas season, and it's, it's finally upon us every year. It seems to get earlier and earlier, it seems like. It's not, but it seems like it gets earlier and earlier because uh, the stores stop selling stuff in September for Christmas. I mean, you could go in Menards. I know the 1st of October, they had Christmas decorations for sale. And Christmas seems to be get a little bit closer. Soon we'll be putting down the decorations and they'll be selling them again in the store. That's how it seems to be going. But So right now, as you can see, the church looks beautiful because some people came around. Our, our family came here yesterday, had some uh, jambalaya and decorated the church. Uh, the first annual decorating party was yesterday and it was a success. The first annual. So next year, it'll be the, we're going to do it. And we're going to count them. It was a success. And it was a success because we came together as a family, not because of one person, but because of all of us. So, and so if you like what it, how it looks and you didn't come this year, or and you don't like how it looks, next year you should show up. So there you go. But we can see evidence all around us, can't we? We can go to the stores and the chaos, especially since Thanksgiving. Fantastic holiday. I think it's an amazing holiday, Thanksgiving, because we get to be thankful for all that, that God is doing in our lives. But then the next day is a chaotic Friday. And actually, I don't think it's as chaotic as it used to be. Because of online shopping, it's not as, not as crazy as it used to be. I mean... What's the store? The, the Bath and, Shelley did make me go to Bath and Body Works. My sister did because they needed some stuff. And it was like this. It was packed because they had a good sale on. So it, is, it was chaotic, but it wasn't like lines out of doors chaotic. It was just chaotic. And, it, and, and that's because people now shop online a lot and don't go to the store themselves. But we can see evidence everywhere. You go drive around your neighborhood and there's lights everywhere now. I mean, Thanksgiving ended and suddenly the, the harvest stuff goes down and the snowmen blow up, snowmen come in the yards and they're everywhere. And uh, the Grinch is everywhere now. And he's omnipresent, just like God. He seems to be He's everywhere, but, uh, but, but so we see all this evidence of, of Christmas, and you know, because of us decorating this, I am so thankful, by the way, I just want to say this, this has been a tough week for me, this is a week where I was going to be off. And I was just going to do some sermon prep this week in my free time and got out of the plans. And uh, so it's been tough, but I am. It made me realize how grateful I am for this church fam, this, the, these people in, this, in the room right now. And uh, it made me so grateful to be the pastor of this church. Uh, I've already picked my next t-shirt, by the way. They sell it on Amazon, and it says, this pastor has an awesome congregation. And I really believe that. I really believe that. I believe that I have an awesome congregation, and uh, I am... (laughs) 
I am, I am truly honored to be your pastor. And, and well, thank you. It, it, is been, it is wonderful to be here this morning uh, as we begin this new sermon series. And uh, the four main themes of Christmas, you see, we're going to be talking about the four main themes. Re, uh, themes of Christmas, but this holiday season, we get all the tinsel and the decoration. I mean, Andrew walks into church, he goes, the church looks a bit worldly. He didn't word it like that, but, but, but he did say something similar to that. And I'm not throwing you under the bus, Andrew, because uh, I did nearly call you uh, Charles, uh, uh, Calvin, John Calvin, because he was, he was bar humbug, too. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, you, you, we, we see all the tinsel and all the treats, you know, we get all the treats and we get all the tinsel. And sometimes we think, because uh, Kathy made Christmas cookies yesterday and had Christmas cookies here, and, and we, we see all that treats and we sometimes forget the real reason of Christmas. Because we get so wrapped up in the holiday and the hustle and bustle and buying the perfect gift for somebody that we forget that the perfect gift has already been delivered 2,000 years ago. And his name was Jesus. And I think it's awesome to give gifts. I would do it different now. We ju- I just had this conversation with my sister. If I could do it different, all the holidays I would have done different with my kids. I would have, I would have because here's what we did. We give our kids false hope. You see, we tell them there's such thing as Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and made up fictional characters. And then when we're talking about Jesus to them and they find out that Easter Bunny's not real and Father Christmas isn't real, that's Santa Claus for you guys, right? It's not real. They go, well, is Jesus real? Because we can't see Jesus either. Is he real? So we have already caused our children, uh, uh, the ability to doubt what we say is true because we lied to our children about Father Christmas and the Easter Bunny. And I said, because I wasn't a Christian when my, little, my kids were little. My kids all knew about Father Christmas was fake by the time I became a Christian. So, but but if, if I could go back in time and I was a Christian, we would, Father Christmas wouldn't be a thing in our house. Easter Bunny would not be a thing in my house. Because we lie to our kids. We're giving them false hope. And the real reason, the reason I like giving gifts and always have liked giving gifts since I've been a Christian is because I believe it's to show the the, the gift that we were given. We are created in God's image. As people, we are created in God's image. So if we're created in God's image and God is a gift giver, we should be gift givers. So when Christmas comes, the reason I give gifts is because I want to reflect God. So I want my, my children and my grandchildren to understand the reason I'm giving you a gift is because you've already received the greatest gift there is. And I've got the best gift for my grandchildren this year because they want, to be, they want to be baptized. So the beginning of the year, guess what? 
they're going to get baptized. So, so that's the greatest gift I could get this Christmas, for me to be able to have that. And that conversation, by the way, come up the day we, we took my, my uh, six-year-old, who's going to be seven, grandboy, grandson, and my 10-year-old granddaughter shopping for Christmas child. So we were on the topic, and we started asking them what their favorite verses in the Bible were, because he's my, 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 which you should be ashamed of yourself after I say this. He read through the Bible, okay, read through the Bible in his kitty Bible, which is this thick, in a month. Because he was so wanting to dive into the stories that he just, and do you know what he said? I said, have you got any more Christmas ideas? And he goes, anything to do with the Bible. I mean, he's seven. He's well, seven in on the on the. Well, I can't remember his birthday. I have a twenty-first, twenty-third. Well, we can't even. It's not the twenty-fourth. It's the twenty-third. It it sometimes in the twenties in December. It's so close to Christmas we forget because his mum never celebrates his birthday on his birthday. So we, it's not like a. A thing. We know the day it's his birthday because we do something special for him, but it's always, I forget his date because we never actually do a birthday party. She always does it a month early or a little bit late, so he doesn't get squashed with Christmas because you know when you're born in the week of Christmas, your, your birthday party is, oh, you're getting Christmas presents. You ain't getting no birthday presents. We can't afford both. Come on now. What do you expect? So, but yeah, so I've got the greatest, greatest gift. And, and so, but during this season, we're going to look at how hope, peace, joy, and love are at the heart of Christmas. This morning, we'll discover the hope that comes to us through the birth of Christ. And I'm sure we could all use a little hope this Christmas. I know my family can. So, hope is to wait for Or expect something good to happen. Everybody hopes, by the way. A farmer doesn't plant seed and doesn't not have hope that it's going to grow and it's going to rain. Everybody has hope. Everybody that works here goes to work and hopes there's a paycheck at the end of the week. Because you don't think about it, though. You don't think about it like hope. But one day, that company might not get paid. Because when you're self-employed, you hope a lot that you're going to get paid. And before this job, I didn't have a regular paycheck. So I would get paid when I got paid. So I would hope when I build them, they had the money to pay me. Or I wasn't getting paid. So everybody has hope. Everybody has hope. A.W. Tozer says this, from the Christian point of view. We have been born of God, and our Christian hope is a valid hope. No emptiness, no vanity, no dreams that cannot come true. Your expectations should rise, and you should challenge God and begin to dream high dreams of faith and spiritual attainment. And expect God to meet them. You cannot out-hope God. 
and you cannot out-expect God. Remember that all your hopes are finite, but all of God's ability is infinite. We have an infinite God. So, the big idea today. The prophet Isaiah writes one of the most classic of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Christ. The passage he writes is born of gloom and darkness. You see, the world had felt the full weight of sin and it had wreaked havoc on all of creation. What Isaiah had offered in chapter 9 was something the Jewish people needed more than anything. They needed hope. Hope that one day someone would come to make all things right and restore what had, hap- what had been broken. You see, the birth of Jesus was the fulfillment of that hope. And this fact offers us hope in our lives today. See, we can learn a lot, talking about children, by the watching the way children embrace this holiday season, this Christmas season. You know, my, grand, my granddaughter, uh, Lexi, has, a, has her own cell phone, which I think she's too young for, but she has one. And do you know what she did? She, because we all like making Christmas lists when we're kids, and we all get excited about it, and we have hope that the things on our Christmas list are going to get brought for us. She, being the genius she is, decided she was going to make a video as she scrolled through Amazon and picked the stuff that she wanted for Christmas. It was, it was great. It was great. And, and, and it'll, be, it'll be amazing when she finds some of them gifts either under the Christmas tree or some people have brought them the gifts that she's going to receive later in the day because I had a part of that. But, um, but it, it will be amazing. Her hope for what she wanted will come true. My sister will probably remember this story. In 1984, I think it was, this young boy, by the way, my mom was very poor, I wanted an Atari because that was the game system. I wanted an Atari for Christmas. And I did not think I was going to get an Atari, but that's what I asked for. Because they were like 150 pounds, which was a lot of money for my mum to spend on something for us. And actually that Christmas, it's the only Christmas, I actually wondered how Santa was going to do it because I was at my nan's. Okay, and I was at my nan's for Christmas that year, and my mom had a classic way of uh, delivering presents as Santa. She used to use a big black trash bag and stuff everything on it, didn't she, Shaz? And it used to be on the end of our bed, because Santa couldn't afford sacks. He could afford plastic bags, and he would put it in there, and we used to have an orange and some nuts in it every year, didn't we, Shaz? That was it. That's what we had. We had other stuff. I mean, my mom would make sure we had good Christmases. I would never say she didn't. And this year, I had this big box in this bag. 
And I was so excited and so full of hope. And I opened it. And, and the excitement that you have when something that you've asked for, that you've hoped for, comes true, is this, the hope that I'm talking about right now that we can have in Christ Jesus. That he's done what he said he was going to do. And I played that Atari till I had blisters on my fingers. No. <laughs> Probably. She didn't she didn't play video games. But the true reason there is hope at the heart of Christmas is not because of gifts, but because of the birth of Christ. He, his arrival on earth was the fulfillment of the prophecy spoken hundreds of years ago. Hundreds of years ago. The prophecy is actually one of the most well-known scripture passages shared during this time of the year. And the scripture that Jackie kindly read to us earlier This is where we will begin our journey today as well. Remember, Isaiah, because they're always like, well, Isaiah is so prophetical. It's like for years and years and years, the people against the Bible said, there's no way that Isaiah was written before Jesus was born. Because it prophesizes his birth so well and it prophesizes his death so well and there wasn't even a cross so when they say he would be nailed to a tree in Isaiah there wasn't that form of execution didn't even exist so everybody would say all these people said how can that book be written before Jesus lived and then this young little shepherd boy was kicking around some pebbles and some stones, and it went in a cave, and it hit a jar. And in that jar was the Dead Sea Scrolls. And them Dead Sea Scrolls were dated back before Jesus was born. And they contained Isaiah. Enough fragments of Isaiah were in there, to, and enough of the prophecies that we believe are true were in them jars. Written before Jesus was born. See, God knows everything, so he can write everything down before it happens. My week has been traumatic. But it didn't take God by surprise. And actually, I haven't got time for it in this sermon, sermon else I will preach longer than usual. But, but I can, can, can't even begin to tell you how many amazing things have happened because my dad fell. And, and it, 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 it would blow your brain how much stuff that God... And now as a, as a, a strong Christian, I can look at it and go, wow. And chuckle sometimes, especially when my sister's telling me stuff that's happened in her life. And, and stuff, and how God moves and works. So, 
Isaiah was written before. So the prophecy that Jackie read was written before Jesus was born with great detail. So the backdrop, though, of, of Isaiah's writings is that he wrote it around 740 B.C. And there was poor leadership. The people of Israel had been suffering through the reigns of four ungodly kings. Uzziah, Jotham, I'm probably saying them wrong, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. They were corrupt and had led people far from God. And this was a thing that happened to the Israelites all the time. They would follow Christ, follow God so good. And then the next generation would run so far away until they didn't have any hope in the world. And then they would call on God's name again. It's the whole Old Testament is that. The whole Old Testament is back and forth. Uh, they, they follow in under one king, they're doing really good. And then they suddenly get a king. They just happen to have a reign of four kings and nothing changed. And they were away from God. They had, the kingdom was crumbling and the people needed hope. So this passage makes two major statements. Because God gave them hope in the book of Isaiah. The first is the acknowledgement of the brokenness and the darkness that surrounded Israel due to the sin and corruption. The second is the hope of a dawning light through the birth of a child who would one day make all things right. The Jewish people in the Old Testament needed these words to remind them that God had not forgotten about them. Because there was a small group of, of devout Jewish people that still had hope. But the book of Matthew also reminds us of Isaiah's writings. The gospel writer was making the connection between what Isaiah had prophetically written and what had taken place in the manger in Bethlehem. In Matthew 1, and 23, he says this, All this, all this, everything that was going on had took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when, when, when Jesus was born, God was with us. A young Jewish man named Joseph. We all know Joseph out of the Christmas story. The, the stepdaddy of Jesus was presented with a very difficult decision to make, wasn't he? I mean, he was engaged to be married to a woman named Mary. But she was already pregnant. So he's like, hmm, are you sure this God thing's real? You're pregnant. So, but Joseph, by the way, honorable man, he was going to divorce her in private so it wouldn't affect her. 
But Joseph planned to call off the wedding and, be, and uh, because it appeared his bride-to-be was unfaithful. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph in a dream. And he said, go and marry her. Because the child in her womb was from the Holy Spirit. And all these events took place to fulfill the prophecy, these prophecies from the Old Testament, which claimed there would be a child born as the light in the darkness and a hope for all the people. And when he was born, how dark was the world? It was pretty dark. The Romans had conquered everywhere. And you see, they ruled with an iron fist. So this means, this is what the Romans would do when they come conquered. This is, Jesus was born into this. They would conquer a city. And then they would get anybody they felt like they were going to kill. They would line up crosses for miles into that city. And they would crucify people. Just to crucify people. And leave their bodies there. So when you entered the town, you got the smell of wretched dead people. And you go, I think I'm going to follow the rules in this town. That's how they had peace. Peace with an iron fist. That's the only way you can have peace when you work like that, is to scare people so much that they won't break the rules. And that's what Jesus was born into that. He was born into darkness. And he was the light. See, this child would be named Emmanuel, which means God with us, even in the midst of darkness. See, the presence of darkness, it threatens our hope. See, we live in a time right now, it's pretty dark right now. We prayed for the Ukraine war. We've been praying for it. And we've been praying for the Ukraine people. And and do you know what's amazing about that? And, And I never forget, every time we pray for that, I always think the stories, the stories Igor shared with us in Germany. He's doing ministry in Germany. And so many people that have had to leave Ukraine are meeting Jesus In Germany. Because they have no hope. And Jesus offered them hope. So all of these people, we go, wow, what's God doing? He's allowing these wars to go on. He's using it because we don't come to Jesus easy. We don't meet Jesus when everything's going our way. We meet Jesus when it's dark, when there is no hope, when you're at bottom. That's how I met Jesus. And that's how everybody meets Jesus. Because when you can help yourself, it's no good. Because when you can help yourself, you don't need a God. You don't need a savior. 
because I can do it all by myself. But Jesus came into this dark world and brings us hope. The center of the Christian story is focused squarely on the birth of Christ. He is the fulfillment of Israel's hope that God would push back the darkness and shine a bright light into this world. See, one of, one of the reasons Christmas resonates in our hearts is because we too live in a world that is so similar to Israel. Our world is dark and it's corrupt. It's full of sin that so easily entangles. Because it tempts us. There is war, there is disease, there is conflict, there's oppression. It's all around. So we too are in need of Christ. We are in need of Christ to usher in a light to push back the darkness around us. See, Christmas is a reminder that whatever it is we hope for in our lives, healing, restoration, forgiveness, a fresh start, it is available through Emmanuel, God with us. Hope is not a result of the absence of conflict. It's not the result of the absence of difficult times or struggles or trials. Hope is the result of the presence of God. See, God's presence has come to give us hope. There's a plant in the southern part of uh, America. And it is called the agave americana or the century plant. See, see, the part about hope is that it often takes longer than we would like to be fulfilled. I hope my dad could come home sooner. It's going to take a long time to recover. Like the Jewish people experience, hope requires patience. So this this plant that grows in the southwest desert of the United States, also known as a century plant, it thrives in rocky, dry, and mountainous desert locations. Okay? That's what it looks like. And it grows splayed leaves that grow up to a foot wide. And the plant plant can actually reach a 12-foot circumference. And it grows about my height, six foot tall. But its most unusual trait is its long reproduction cycle. This plant, for 20 to 30 years, this plant remains just like that, the same height, and puts out no flowers. But suddenly, there's no warning. It's not like this is on a time, 20, 30 years. A new bud will sprout in this plant, resembling a tree trunk 
sized asparagus spear. It will rise into the sky at a rate of seven inches per day until it reaches 20 to 40 feet. Then it culminates. It looks like this then. Then it culminates with a crown of several clumps of yellow blossoms that last three weeks. And then it scatters its seeds. And similar to this plant, some of the greatest answers to our hoping and longing take time and patience in order to see the beauty unfold. Isaiah saw that one, that one day in the future. God would bring a great light and salvation through the birth of a child. It was not until hundreds of years later that Matthew recorded Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Jesus is the very presence of God on earth. That's why I always tell you, if you want to know about Jesus, read your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And you'll know all you need to know about Jesus. All that God wants you to know about Jesus is in this book. And he offers us forgiveness of sin, destruction of evil, and the promise of eternal life. So why do we read Isaiah's prophecy each year during Christmas? It is because seeing the faithfulness of God in the past gives us deep and abiding hope in the present and unwavering trust for the future. I say all the time, I look just not at Isaiah, but I can look at my own life and see what God has done in my life and go, well, I can have hope that God's going to do this in the future because he's been doing this. And it's not that it won't be painful. Because how I'm standing in here here right now was painful. But if it was easy, I wouldn't need him. The Apostle Paul made an appeal for hope to those who trust in Christ as he wrote a letter to the early church in Rome. Romans 15.4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So you see, we can read this book and go, well, God did that before. What can he do for us? It is important that we revisit the prophetic words of the Old Testament and the fulfillment that comes through the birth of Jesus because it reminds us that God can be trusted to come through and meet us in our greatest time of need. Monday, I'm at the hospital. Carol called me. around 2 o'clock Monday afternoon. And my 
said, your dad fell. Well, my dad falls all the time, so I wasn't even, like, worried about it, right? She wasn't sounding, like, super panicked. She says, he's going to the hospital. He's been to the hospital several times from falling. I'm just thinking, uh, I actually said to her, well, when you get there, let me know how he's doing. And she goes, I think you should come. Calmly. So I say, honey, I'm going to the hospital. I kiss my grandchildren because they were all over. Goodbye. And I drive to the hospital. And there's my dad. uh, Talking in a foreign language. I think he was actually praying myself, but that's my own personal belief. I think he was praying in tongues, but uh, uh, it sounded Latin. I'm telling you, it sounded like it was Latin. And he, he, he said... Peter, Paul, and some other name, and I didn't know what the other name was, but the Peter and Paul was clear. But the rest of it sounded like it was Latin. I mean, I've listened to Latin. I don't understand Latin, but I've listened to it. I'm not saying it was Latin, but that's what it sounded like he was mumbling until they sedated him so much. And they told me he's got a brain bleed, and it was, it was scary. But do you know what I figured that day? That it was okay if my dad was to die. I actually realized, standing at the bed, that it was okay for him to die. I know, actually, because I believe my dad loves Jesus, and I know where he's going to be, that I had hope in that. And it was my realization that my dad has asked me several times to do his funeral. And I thought, there's no way I would ever be able to do his funeral. And on Monday, I was there. And in my head, I'm like, I could do my dad's funeral. It would be an emotional time. But I could easily do my dad's funeral now. And my dad's doing okay now, right now. He's going uphill. He's doing great. That that time, I was at peace with whatever God wanted to do with my dad. Because I had hope in his resurrection. I knew that one day, I could have Thanksgiving dinner with him in heaven. The greatest Thanksgiving dinner ever. The banquet of all banquets. The tastiest food. He kills the fatted calf for us. He goes all out. And I had peace because I had hope. I think that's what it brings you. I actually think God used that to work on my life this week. I'm supposed to be at home trying to get rejuvenated. That didn't happen. By the way, if this sermon sucks, I wrote it at 2 o'clock this morning, finished it at 8 o'clock this morning. So there you go. I'm honest with you, that's what happened, okay? I had not thought about this sermon all week. I had an idea where it was going to go. That's it. But I have hope that no matter what happened to my dad, he would be okay. Whether he survived, whether he has to have a feeding tube, whether I have to go over there every single day and help take care of him. Whatever it is God wants me to do, I'll do it. Will it inconvenience me? Maybe. But that's God's plan. He knew all of that 
before he, this happened. It didn't take him by surprise. It took me by surprise. So, it is important that we, we, we visit them because at the heart of Christmas is hope. Though there are many distractions during Christmas season, this message is a reminder that hope is offered to us through Jesus' arrival in the manger. I want to tell you a quick story James, Dr. James Dobson shared. It tells a story of this old elderly woman named Stella Thornhope, who was struggling with her first Christmas, Christmas alone. Her husband had died just a few months prior through a slow developing cancer. Several days before Christmas, she was almost snowed in by a brutal weather system. She felt terribly alone. So much so that she decided she was not going to decorate for Christmas. Late that afternoon, the doorbell rang though. And there was a delivery boy with a box. He said, Mrs. Fornhope, would you sign here? She invited, him, she invited him to step inside and close the door to get away from the cold. She signed the paper and said, what's in the box? The young man laughed as he opened up the flap and inside was a little golden retriever. The delivery boy picked up the squirming pup and explained, this is for you, ma'am. He's 16 week old and completely housebroken. The young puppy began to wiggle in happiness at being released from captivity. Who sent this, Mrs. Fornhope asked. The young man sat the animal down and handed her an envelope and said, It's all explained here in this envelope, ma'am. The dog was bought last July while its mother was still pregnant. It was meant to be a Christmas gift to you. The young man then handed her a book, How to Care for Your Labrador Retriever. In, desperate, in, in desperation, she asked again, who sent me this puppy? As the young man turned to leave her, he said, your husband, ma'am. Merry Christmas. She opened the letter from her husband. He had, ha- he had, had written it three weeks before he died and left it at the kennel owners to be delivered with the puppy at his last Christmas gift to her. The letter was was full of love and encouragement and admonishment to be strong. He vowed that he was waiting for the day when she would join him in heaven. He had sent her this young animal to keep her company until then. She wiped away the tears, put the letter down, and then remembered the puppy at her feet. She picked up the golden furry ball and held it to her neck. Then she looked out the window at the lights that outlined the neighbor's house and she, and she heard the, from the radio in the kitchen the strains of joy to the world, the Lord has come. Suddenly Stella felt the, this amazing sensation of hope. Washing over her, her heart felt a joy and a wonder greater than the grief and loneliness she was feeling. 
Little fella, she said to the dog, it's just you and me. But you know what? There's a box in the basement. I bet you'd like it. It's got a little Christmas tree in it and some decorations and lights. And we're going to, we're going to impress you. And there's a manger scene down there. Let's go get it. That's hope. So, our God is always right on time. He's never late. He's always right on time. He knows exactly what we need, and he can be trusted to reveal the light of Christ in order to push back the darkness in our lives. In this world full of deep darkness, a light has indeed dawned. His name is Jesus I want to invite you to express your hope in God this morning by bringing him the things that weigh heavy on your heart. I'm going to begin to pray in a minute and then offer you a moment of silence to speak to God and then I'll close. It's not going to be long. I'm just going to pause for a minute and then continue the prayer. But if you've got something that you want to give to God, you can just say it in your head. Give it to God. Accept the hope that he brings to you. Father God, we come to you this morning. We need hope. Hope that that you are faithful and have provided all that we need by sending your son to us. We ask that the light of his life would shine into our lives and lift our heads. We offer to you the areas of our lives where we need your presence, God. Listen to our cries. God, we trust you today with our very lives and we look forward to seeing how you will come through for us. We thank you in advance for the hope that can only come from you. We thank you for showing us the heart of Christmas. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So for next week's homework, read Luke 2, 8 through 21 to get ready for next week's peace in the heart of Christmas. I'm going to skip, but if you want to see them, I'll write them down later. I had five questions for you to ask. And I haven't got time for them. But here's the first one. How would you define hope in your own words? Work on that one. Please stand.